Welcome to Mox on the Mic, your exclusive look into all things Chattanooga athletics. Here's your host, Chris Goforth. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from those of us here at Mox on the Mic. Glad to have you with us this week as we uh, put the wraps on 2021 and sit down with Chattanooga's Vice Chancellor and Director of Athletics, Mark Wharton. Spend a few minutes with Mark. We talk about a lot of subjects, a lot of things about facilities and the future and fundraising and what's happening around Mox Athletics. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's our conversation with Chattanooga's Vice Chancellor and Director of Athletics, Mark Wharton. So let's start with this. I know, you know, part of your job is uh, is, is hiring coaches. You've got two positions that are open, a men's golf coach and a women's volleyball coach. I know you guys are going through the process of both right now. Can you give us a timeline on when you expect to have coaches in place for those two programs? Well, women's volleyball, um, we are in the middle of our search. We anticipate right after Christmas that uh, we'll make an announcement. It's very exciting uh, if uh, everything goes the way we want it to go. So uh, it's somebody that's a, a proven a uh, winner has been at every level you can imagine. And uh, I've had a previous relationship with this individual and uh, wanted to come and be a part of our program. And uh, if all the ducks get in a row, we'll, we'll be able to announce and be able to uh, move forward with that one. Golf, just due to the timing, uh, Miles um, is uh, our assistant coach. Uh, we're going to allow him to run the program through the spring. Uh, we felt like uh, that the candidates, I, I think it's going to be an unbelievable pool of candidates, but uh, to get uh, cut somebody in the middle of the year, I think it's going to be a challenge uh, for some of these people. So hopefully the end of March, April, we'll start that process and have somebody on board in, in May. We had the the groundbreaking for the football edition to the arena was delayed. What's the story behind the delay? When will there be an official groundbreaking? What's the latest on that? Yes, uh, we were really, really excited about moving forward. There was one piece of the uh, scenario that we still were waiting for, uh, and that was uh, with the State Building Commission and uh, with the, the, uh, the builder, the person that was uh, hired. Uh, at the last minute, there were some questions about the bid. So we felt and feel good where we are, but felt that uh, if we announced it and then something happened that we had to wait another six months, that uh, uh, I don't think our, our donors and, and our fans would uh, uh, get very impatient about whether we're going to do this building. We feel like we're past uh, any kind of delays from here. Now, has this changed the completion date? It still will be two years uh, uh, that we anticipate full use of that building. I think the way they're going to do it, that we'll have some programs be able to, to access uh, the inside of the building, which would be men's and women's basketball locker rooms, uh, athletic training, uh, sports media that, that will be able to come in a little earlier. We don't really know if that's 18 months or 20 months, but um, they're, they're allowing us to sequence uh, 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 some units that have to, uh, you know, be out of the building during the construction. 
who all is going to be displaced while this is while this is happening? Um, men's women's basketball, uh, football uh, will be displaced. Uh, we will have temporary locker rooms in McClellan Gym. Um, sports media relations will move up to the Hall of Fame room. Um, athletic training will move to the dance studio. Uh, and I believe that's it. The athletic, uh, the equipment room will have some hits or miss, misses, but uh, for the most part, they'll be able to stay in their area. It'll be some inconvenience to everybody, but uh, uh, I always say uh, short-term pain, long-term gain. Once that facility's going to be open, it's going to be great. Yeah, we haven't really talked much here uh, about this facility and, and what it's going to mean. So while you've got a second, walk us through what this is going to mean um, and, and where the benefits will be and kind of what it's going to look like when it's done. I think it's going to benefit all our programs um, just by uh, the meeting spaces that are going to be in the new, um, new building. Football is going to be a, a tremendous recruiting tool. Uh, we, we are one of the few in the top tier of the Southern Conference uh, in football that has not built something uh, as far as offices, locker rooms, and meeting spaces that uh, uh, it's time for us to do that. Um, men's and women's basketball, again, they're going to have state-of-the-art locker rooms, meeting spaces, coaches, locker rooms. Uh, and, you know, I think the biggest benefit out of it, which affects all of our student athletes, is our athletic training facility. Uh, it's going to be one big room right now. We access three of them. Uh, it's going to have a doctor's office, uh, x-ray, everything that is really going to be very, very beneficial to all 300-plus student athletes. But every, every program is going to be affected by the, the recruiting component of it, and it's, it's very exciting. How important is it to keep those uh, facilities and a facility like this to be able to keep it on campus rather than – because, look, there's – you know, there's the Ingle Stadium property that, that you could have chosen to do something with. How important is it to keep it on campus, and was that a consideration? Yes, uh, it, it was a huge consideration, as you alluded to, um, the Ingle Stadium property. But, you know, we are a rare university where we rent majority of our f facilities. Um, Frost Stadium is city stadium. You know, Finley Stadium, as we know, is a city stadium. But um, it was, you know, critical and also helps, quite frankly, you know, spruce up uh, McKenzie Arena, um, putting something out in front of it. And uh, we have long term plans to be able to do more with the outside of McKenzie Arena. But, um, you know, with the location of Scrappy Moore Field, uh, you know, the uh, proximity to campus as far as classes, uh, dining halls, et cetera, that uh, it's critically important, important that uh, we build it where, you know, where it is. Uh, proposed off of McKenzie Arena. What about inside the arena for men's and women's basketball? There had been some talk that a conversation I had with one of your predecessors about the idea of turning uh, some of those seats into suites or, or some skybox type locations, something like that. Is that feasible currently? It actually was in the plan that we would take the current Hall of Fame room. You know, uh, I did not mention you know, one of the great benefits of the new building that's going to be out front is going to be connected to the third floor of McKenzie Arena. 
that we'll have a, um, a great room, like uh, our donors and uh, be able to have events in there that we can cook food and it's going to be overlooking, you know, the arc and uh, main campus, but um, that I think, you know, we have plans for, as we talked about, uh, suites coming off of the Hall of, Hall of Fame room that you can put four there. It was originally in the contract. That was one of the first things that were going to go, but we have, uh, you know, plans to be able to raise money to, to make that happen. You know, we, we need to continue after this project gets going to look at our concourse area, our, our concession stands, those type of things of amenities for our fans that uh, really needs to be done. Nothing's been done since that building's been built that um, we continue to look at sprucing up, you know, McKenzie Arena and, and those fan amenities that are critical. You know, we put in a new video board, a new sound system. So we're making progress on, you know, uh, you know, what it means to our fans and, and how our, our game days are, you know, as you know, personally, our Mox Vision folks do such a fantastic job that we want to continue to, uh, you know, do things for our fans that, um, that brings the crowd and brings the town in. You mentioned the fact that your, your tenants in a lot of the facilities that you, that you compete in now, McKenzie Arena being the, being the exception to that, there had been some talk, uh, about the idea of a football facility for for UTC that that the university would would have is that still something that's a possibility or is that an issue that's kind of been put to bed? No, we're in the middle of uh, we do about every five to ten years a campus wide facilities master plan, and we had just started that. We're about nine months in the process. And, um, you know, one of the great things among many that the campus looks at is taking our old dorms, uh, bowling, you know, others that um, are, are aged and be able to take them to the ground and do some, some new housing. Um, within the concept of housing, there is an ability uh, to be able to, to have a concept of a football stadium around our current housing that is on our campus. Uh, again, it's a concept, but uh, the, the chancellor is very much wanting to, to investigate how that would look and how that would feel. And, you know, uh, there's nothing better than a football facility on or near campus that uh, the students can tailgate in their dorms and then come out into the parking lots and be able to, to be on campus. There's, a, there's a, just a different energy to that. So he, he is very much uh, uh, excited about looking at concepts. So I, I don't think it's dead at all. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting if you kind of look at campus about where that could be. What's the future of the Ingle Stadium property? Again, with that same facility master plan, is it something uh, that we've talked about is having a track inside of Ingle Stadium that inside that track is a, a soccer field that we can have a, a, some type of stadium there and use uh, part of the facility to do locker rooms different type of, you know, maybe a strength conditioning area for, you know, uh, some of our non-revenue sports. Um, but they're, they're looking at, I think the key to the whole thing is in having Ingle look like Ingle, but not be Ingle that uh, they want to make sure for all the historic, you know, uh, memories that are in that facility that we do something to honor the, that heritage. But uh, there's certain, certainly it's a valuable space 
that can be used uh, again to be able to help not only uh, athletics, but university rack and other aspects of the university. So the plans are then to try to preserve that structure. Absolutely. Uh, we went through the exercise when I got here of investigating, putting the McKenzie addition that we talked about, the Wofford Center down there. Uh, also the, the long-term plans of putting a football stadium there. Um, that, that was very much a conversation with campus, but really the, the community uh, and really wanted to keep some type of similar to what we did with Chamberlain Field is having some, you know, component of it exists that we can honor it, you know, for the future. What is involved in trying to get that structure usable, not just for student athletes, but for fans to be able to come and, and watch? It's going to take a lot. I mean, um, I was down there uh, about a month and a half ago, and uh, it's in disrepair that uh, something ex extreme's got to be done to it. The the roof over the grandstands are uh, is falling in. You know, I don't think the plumbing's in too great a shape. But uh, again, it, it's going to be a yeoman's uh, uh, work to be able to take anything that's existing in there and make it make it usable. So. Uh, again, that's the conversation about taking it to the ground and possibly building up at least the exterior on how it looks now. But uh, again, it, it's something that uh, right now is in the chancellor and uh, Tyler Force, who's our finance and budget person to be able to figure out the, the long term use to it. But I like that, you know, it's been empty for so long that they're actually momentum on trying to figure out how to how to preserve that place and make it usable. Last time you were with me, uh, we talked about the conference and kind of the at that time, if you remember, that was when there was so much upheaval happening across college sports with uh, a, a lot of movement uh, from conference to conference. As we sit here today in, in December of 2021. Is Chattanooga happy as a member of the Southern Conference? We are. We are. We went through a lot of exercises uh, through the summer and mainly in the fall of talking about what does the Southern Conference look like, you know, in the future? You know, is it trying to be a 12-member conference or a 14-member conference? And through those discussions with the athletic directors and the CEOs, the chancellors and presidents, that we like to make up where we are now, the strength of men's basketball, the regionality of uh, playing football, um, you know, and, and what it does for our, all our other sports that, uh, you know, we're 10 strong and we commit to that. You know, I worry as the landscape continues to change that it just takes one of our member institutions to leave and um, the mad scramble goes on, you know, that uh, it's very like with most conferences, but really with the Southern Conference and its uniqueness with the private schools, public schools, and the militaries, that you just can't go out and grab a school. You have to be thoughtful and intentional about uh, what best fits with the, uh, our league. And so uh, right now, to answer your question, uh, we're 10 strong, and we look forward to uh, you know a bright future and continue to be a basketball power, all the other sports coming up to that level. You mentioned the private schools and the military institutions that – make up the conference as a public institution in the Southern Conference. 
Is that an advantage or a disadvantage? I think it's a great advantage when you see about these new transfer rules, uh, you know, that you kids can be redshirt one year and then have three years of eligibility. And a lot of kids nowadays graduate in three years, three and a half years, they get multiple years left. You look at private schools like Wofford and Furman and Mercer and Sanford that they don't have graduate schools. And so it's a disadvantage for them that they, they, they have to be selective on um, the kids. It's even a smaller pool because if they've graduated, they're usually not going to go to another school and go back to under undergraduate classes where here at UTC, you know, we've got a robust graduate programs, uh, you know, business school is world renowned that uh, we bring a lot of people. But I think with all this stuff transpiring with the transfer rule, the Austin case, the name, image and likeness, that uh, a town like Chattanooga in a university like we have is very, very attractive. And um, we, we've certainly just in this early going have, have uh, taken advantage of it. You look at football and men's basketball specifically that um, uh, it's, it's helped us more than it's hurt us. Well, if you want to get folks stirred up on social media, just, just bring up baseball at Chattanooga. <laughs> Is and I'm sure you've heard it right as the yes. as the athletic director. You you probably get this question a lot from people. Is there any chance we could ever see baseball back at UTC? It'll you know I, when I get asked about it, and you're right, I get asked about it a lot. You know, there, there's 20 million issues that I need solved, and if somebody wants to drop 20 million dollars in my lap, I'm happy to get. Uh, baseball and what will end up probably being women's lacrosse here on our campus. But, um, you know, with our grant aid and, and things that we uh, that we currently have, there's just, you know, to have a, a sizable and successful baseball program, you're going to have to add a women's sports and, you know, the, the budgets and those type of things that we we've come a long way since I've been here, but we got a lot, a lot longer to go to, to address our, our revenue, to get us to where we can, can have those conversations. Can you explain Title IX? Because I feel like somewhere along the way, it's kind of gotten a little off kilter in, in terms of some people's minds and how they perceive it and exactly what it means. So can you take a minute or two and just explain it? <laughs> well, it depends on who's in the White House. That's the first thing on how they judge Title IX. The simple thing is, the simple explanation is, you look at your campus population, your student population, and how it's broken up male and female. That ratio, say it's 60-40, that ratio has to mirror or come close to mirroring what you have in your athletic department. So if it's 60% women, our athletes have to be 60-ish percent females on our campus. So as those fluctuate, you know, with student enrollment and those type of things that we get looked at every five years about whether we're in compliance or not. And that is 100% of the reason why we added beach volleyball is it allowed us to add another women's sport. Um, we use predominantly our, our indoor women's uh, volleyball players for that. You can count them twice. Um, 
but we are, you know, approaching another five-year period that, that we look on how that Title IX um, affects us. And then you look at within your programs is roughly what um, women's basketball and men's basketball, their budgets, their roster sizes, they have to be uh, similar and equal. And uh, so we have like, uh, you know, the sports have to mirror a certain other sport like wrestling has soccer and, you know, women's volleyball has, you know, uh, their mirror sport. And so we, again, every year look at when we do the budgeting process on where we are within those programs and the budgets, but uh, it's complicated. And I think we do a good job. Uh, we're on the cusp of having to, to address it again and uh, how that looks right now. I don't know. You know, I've heard people say that because football is a monster in and of itself, should football be removed from the Title IX figures? I, I see, you know, again, it's, it's your student-athlete population. I, I don't necessarily, you know, we're lucky that we have a football coach. I, I think it's lucky that Rusty Wright, most programs like a Knoxville or a Alabama, you, you have 110 to 120 uh, student athletes on your football team. Of course, you know, at that level is 85 scholarships. Rusty Wright only likes about 90, 92, you know, still a lot, but um, he likes to keep it small, smaller, that uh, he can be effective in practicing, but we just don't have a bunch of guys around. So that helps us. But, you know, I don't ever see the day, I, I can see the argument, but I don't ever see the day that they'll pull football out especially at the FCS level, you know, uh, the power five might figure something out and be able to branch off and do their own thing. But it certainly will raise a lot of eyebrows with people that watch title nine. Well, the impact name image likeness at the FCS level and specifically the impact at Chattanooga. Well, we do have 20 to 30 of our student athletes who have filed, uh, you know, uh, information with us that they have a name, image, and likeness deal. Uh, the quantity uh, dollar amount is not that tremendous, but um, as you've seen in the news with the, the Oklahomas and the Ole Misses and those type of things, you know, the intent, which I've said all along, the intent was not supposed to be a recruiting advantage, uh, but certainly these schools are, uh, are looking at it and trying to maximize how they can get, you know, the five-star student athlete on your campus and name image likeness is very much in that. Uh, I, I do feel if nothing changes that it will get to our level, especially with the transfer portal. The kid is a proven commodity at X school and they're in the portal to transfer. I think that that will be a uh, incentive uh, for people to look at where they go um, to play their remaining years. And I, I think name, image, and likeness is something that is going to, again, not supposed to be part of the recruiting process, but I think it's definitely going to be talked about and investigated. Box Club has had a huge push uh, membership drive uh, here. Uh, I, I guess it's winding down, right? You're trying to trying to hit that number before the uh, before the end of the year. Can you bring us up to date on that and uh, and where the uh, where the Mox Club is right now? Yeah, we, you know, we had a lot of conversations about two years ago that we benchmarked mainly the Southern Conference, but all FCS about fundraising and 
really the lifeblood of an athletic department's uh, annual unrestricted support, which is the Mox Club. You know, we, we take restricted gifts to, you know, specific sports, but where we sat in the Southern Conference and it kind of, when I got on board here uh, four and a half years ago, really was eye-opening with all the great success. You know, we've won more championships in the Southern Conference than any other school that we were seventh in a 10 league, you know, 10 school league and what we raised in the, the amount of uh, donors that we had. And I've always felt that if we got to 1500 donors, that, that that's a, a good spot for us. And then if we can get to about $1.5 million, well, we ended two years ago with little less than 700 Mox Club unrestricted donors. And so um, our team uh, really put a plan in place, which was the 1500 Mox campaign. Uh, we're a little over 1400 now. Uh, they're all, you know, I, I would love to get to 1500, but to be able to make that stride from less than 700 donors to over 1400 donors is a huge, you know, accomplishment and the revenue will follow. But, you know, I've always said in my fundraising career, I care about the numbers more than I do the dollars. Because if we take care of those 1400 members, they'll give more money and see the impact and it will help our program. But to take the strides we have, you know, we'll even, you know, uh, stack on top of it in coming years that we'll get to that 1500 and exceed it. And then we'll also get to that 15 you know, $1.5 million where we need to be, which will put us in the top two in the, in the league and uh, continue that momentum. Mark, as always, I um, appreciate the time and, and the insight and look forward to us being able to, to catch up and do this again. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Merry Christmas to you and to everybody out there. Thank you. Thanks to Mark again for his time this week, and thank you for yours as well. Appreciate you joining us each and every week here on Mox on the Mic as we get set to kick off another new year uh, of Mox on the Mic. We'll be back with you in January, talking with more student athletes, more coaches, more fans like you. Glad to have you with us, as always, for our producer, Tate Johnson. I'm Chris Goforth. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays and go mocks. Thanks for listening to Mocks on the Mic. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. And we'll see you again soon.